Hi there. We're back again. My name, Long John Neville. We're around a lot of times during the day. And uh, I've invited a good friend of mine who uh, one time we worked together, and he's been on with me at this station many times. His name, Gene Shepard. And uh, Gene is responsible for a lot of words in uh, Playboy and in books, and uh, certainly uh, millions of words on radio. He's a broadcaster, actor, author, and uh, in fact, uh, you're rather fortunate if you didn't have the, the fin to go out and buy the hardcover book, you can go for an ace now, actually a little less. You, you can go for six bits, 75 cents, and you can have the book. And I'll tell you one thing. Not because he's here. It's really a great book. It's titled, In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. And, uh, you know, this is Shepherd at his best. So we hope that you're able to pick up uh, your copy. And it's a Bantam book. Well, let me see. We were sitting, no, you were sitting, judging the beauty contest. <laughs> oh, John. <laughs> John, you're an evil man. Yes, sir. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why you're so successful. Because I'm evil. I think evil men win in the end. They always do. Really? I thought it was the nice guy. Oh, that's the old days. Really? Oh, no more? Sure. We, we all know that now evil pays off almost as well as push-ups. Well, push-ups do nothing except give you muscle. <laughs> and then what can you do? You can go over to a guy who is weak but wealthy and has barbells, and he can't lift them up to let the maid dust underneath them, so you can pick up a jump for lifting the barbells. That's how, all you can do it with muscle. How long has it been since you kicked sand in the face of a bully at the beach? I was always the guy with the sand in my eyes. You were the guy with the girl on the blanket? That's right, and he took my girl away from me. The Charles Atlas student came over and kicked the sand in your face? That's right, that's right. And I wound <laughs> up being a Howard Bear of the night people. See, I understand a... Uh, a young lady called you today because she called me afterwards and she wanted to know what my sleep habits were. I just was wondering, wasn't, isn't that a little personal? Well, yes, you know the young in lady, some ways. Right? It depends on what she asks about your sleep. I see. Well, she inquired. She I mean, whether me it's a solo. Was... I see. She told me that, that she had talked to you about a half an hour before she talked to me. Yes, that's right. From and, town and country. She, uh, she, said, she asked me whether or not I thought... Uh, whether I knew anybody who suffered from insomnia. That's right. That's her opening line with me, too. I think she had it on tape. Yeah, and I said, what do you mean suffer? I think people who have insomnia are fortunate because they sleep less than most people, and hence they live more lives. They, have, they live more time. I wish I could have called you first and gotten the line and given it to her myself. It's a beautiful line. Well, I, I think that. it's true. I think I think a guy who sleeps 12 hours a day literally sleeps half of his life away. Actually sleeps half. Ah, there he is. Good morning. Nice to see you. Nice you could get up. Just woke up now, yes. Uh, Santa Teller. Okay. Well, we're just talking about insomnia. He looks yeah. like a man that does not suffer from it. No. I have cochineritis. Really? Would you know what that is? Well, it's right out there. Person? I just brought it oh, over. Is that you? Want to sit in? Well, that's one of them no, Armenians. Right. No. Bob Cochner, Robert Cochner. You stand. Oh, sure. You don't stand. He's, yeah. he's an editor. He's a writer. He's a managing editor. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's the worst kind. I deal with him all the time. How you doing? Fine, fine. Well, I'm glad that you could join us, too. I'm honored. Well, here we are, all of us, and now we'll bow our head in a moment, of, and then... In a few moments, the spirit will appear in the table right, and blow now. the bugle. That's right, and, and we'll be in business. The trumpet is never a bugle. It's a trumpet when you're talking about spiritualism. Isn't that the Hindu gap? 
spiritualist meetings that are conducted right here in Manhattan and check this light of the kids down. Well, John, I've heard your show described as a, as a form of spiritualist meeting. Really? Yeah. Tell me about that. Kind of a mystical gathering of free spirits of one kind or another every night. They commune mostly with their navels. It's mm -hmm. kind of exciting. Do you know, did you have the guru on, or whatever, what's his name? The guru was guru. here today. Yeah, today, the he was Maharishi in the building. Mahesh, I think it's <laughs> Mahesh Guru. And uh, everybody's going to him. Guess who he sent down to interview him this morning? Reverend David Poland. Yes. One David religionist Poland. talks to another religionist. You know, I, I've been listening to him, and everything he says sounds like the stuff that used to be on the bottom of the calendars that my mother had. <laughs> You know, be kind. Well, and, oh, uh, yes, sir. Things like uh, think good thoughts. Was that from mm -hmm. Father John's medicine? No, actually, <laughs> no, it was St. Joseph's White Sab. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. I used to sell it myself. <laughs> you can't get it past me. I used to sell it myself, and that's the first time I got my Boy Scout knife. Well, Jared, I kind of lean 16, towards... Uh, Sixteen of those metal containers of the great salve, which uh, took the pain from a bunion. And also, if you burn yourself or scald yourself with hot water or anything like that, instead of using ordinary butter, you'd use white sand. And uh, that's, of course, you, that's cloverine white sand. You're hey, you're right. You're right. It is cloverine. It's right. It was Try to get a Daisy B B gum, but never could. Oh, yeah. no, I, w I went for the pony. You did? Yeah. Never made it, though, no, did you? No, of course you? not. Did, did you at least get, get a the... syrup? No. <laughs> I was going to say the whole heart is put there. Never made it, huh? No, uh, uh, you're talking. Have you got any more of the salve left? Because I could, you know, buy a few. John, I sent off that coupon that appeared in the Hearst paper in Chicago. You know, the the Chicago Herald uh, Examiner, I believe it was in those days, and uh, it was in the funny papers. You know, and at the bottom of the funnies it said, "Kids win a pony, sell white cloverine salve." And this is one of the first traumatic experiences I ever had in the world of of salesmanship. Mm -hmm. It was at that moment, after I got my white cloverine salve. And I made my first tour of the neighborhood. And, the, you know, they had this little blurb that said, Your friends and neighbors will be excitedly awaiting the arrival of you with your white clover and sap because they mm -hmm. all need it for the lumbago. Mm -hmm. They used <laughs> I never have met anybody with lumbago, but I, I, I went out with my white clover and sap, and the temperature was five below. And a pony in your mind. A pony in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I went up to Mr. Bruner, knocked on the door, and I said, I've got white clover and sap for sap. He looked at me and said, I don't want none. And the door closed. I went next door and there was Mrs. Anderson. I knocked on the door and I said, I'm here with your white clothing and sap. They, they even sent you a salesmanship booklet. It says, never say to people, do you want white clothing and sap? You say, I'm here with your white clothing and sap. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she says, white what? I said, clovering sap. She said, I thought you said oleomargarine. <laughs> She says, what do you do with it? I says, well, it's for lumbago. She says, well, he doesn't live here anymore. <laughs> Gosh, I only saw the Saturday evening post. <laughs> you, know, I never, you know, as a matter of fact, my old man got so bugged, he sent the rest of the case back to the white clover and sap people. And when he discovered that I was trying for a pony, he gave this long look at me and says, if you win a pony, I'll break your neck. <laughs> Did you live in an apartment at the time? We lived in <laughs> just <about. laughs> Did you ever read his book, In God We Trust? No, I haven't. Really, it is excellent. It is excellent. I got the original uh, hardcover. Yeah, we got the hardcover. Yeah. This is the paperback, and, and not because Gene is here, but it's really a... Oh. Did you ever read any of his things in the Playboy? Playboy stuff, no. yes. yes. Well, yeah. a lot of this 
It's from, uh, as it's a matter of fact, yeah. Bob, uh, this, the manuscript of this novel was first seen by Playboy, and the pieces you read in Playboy or were that. chapters out of the novel. Oh, I see. That's that, the way They never said that in Playboy. Yes, they did. Did they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, two of the, two of the chapters. Not in the centerfold. No, they don't say anything in the center. The centerfold says all it has to say. You just shake that magazine and it comes flopping out. That's right. <laughs> you don't even have to open Playboy. Do you, do you uh, tape these or do you write them? I've often wondered whether... Oh, no, they're written. They have are Have you written. ever seen a tape transcribed? Yeah, no. Well, but I've heard on. you, too, uh, you know, for hours at a stretch. No, you know one of the... It sounds right. Well, you see, uh, it, it, that's, the, that's something that I've always aimed at in writing, is to get... I feel that writing is a substitute for speech. No matter how you write, you're really substituting for a man talking to you. Even in the case of... of uh, of a so-called classical writing, you're using a kind of. Uh, it's not supposed to be conversation, though. No, that's not the same as speech. Conversation implies a give and take. Uh, it's a monologue, mm. and uh, I have worked in my writing. It's taken me a long time, actually, of professional writing, ten to twelve years, to attempt to get the same feel as a man literally, act, well, actually talking to you. And yeah, so a lot of yeah. people reading it, they say, well, you must have taped that. But this is the last thing you can do. Well, I thought, I, my, my first thought when I when I read some of the Playboy stuff is that you taped it first, then no. got a transcript, and then went Not over Not a bit it. of it, no. As a matter of fact, the way, it, well, the way I write, uh, if I'm going to write, say, a short story that doesn't have any connection with something before mm -hmm. and after a, a specific piece, I'll think of an idea. And it's usually a story that I may have tried on the air just to get the feel of it myself. And then after that, uh, I'll, I'll first uh, write a, a loose, a very loose running, I suppose you can call it a draft. Mm -hmm. And then I begin to expand it, and then after I expand the draft until it gets to be maybe 500 pages, I cut it back to the original eight. <laughs> eight pages from yeah, 500 they, they eight? Yeah. My, you must uh, not worry about your own feelings. Oh, no. Cut I'm then. ruthless. I, I, I really have a problem. I was just, I'm very happy to give whatever I write to somebody else. You know, to another editor who can chop it down, and it hurts me to see somebody else cut it. But I'd rather him do it than me. Well, you know, I, I found I found that that many writers are that way, and and uh, the way it, I'm fortunate in that uh, I work so hard at editing my work that I have never yet had a piece appear in Playboy, and I've had maybe 15 pieces so far in Playboy, major short stories, and I've never yet had one piece that the editors edited. I've really? never had one word removed. No, that's remarkable. Uh, usually an editor, because I am one now, will edit See, it just I, because I, 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 I say that in the introductions. Now, you don't have to do that. He oh, well, you know, I, just in case minds have, <laughs> minds have wandered three minutes ago. That's right. You're talking down yeah. to you now. Believe no, no, no. But editors, too, Gene, really. No, really, editors do uh, have a tendency, regardless of the, the perfection of the prose that they get, they still want to get their blue pencil. Well, I have I have a remarkable editor. It's a guy at uh, at Playboy named Murray Fisher. He's a senior editor there. And uh, Murray said, and, and when we first started all this work, and he found that I I was that way. I I don't like to see myself writing something that secretly inside my mind, if I were an editor, I would cut out. 
It's really that way, you know. So, so when he when he discovered that, Murray said, "Look," he said, uh, he said, "You just do it." And and he said, "If if I want any cuts made for space problems that may conceivably arise, mm -hmm. he says I'll simply send your your proofs back and you do it." He says, "I don't want to mess with it." He said, "Because the rhythm of speech that you get into your work." Is something that you can right. do. He said, I can't do it. He said, yeah. I wonder how Thomas Wolfe felt then when, you know, he gave a manuscript to his uh, agent, his editor, uh, I forgot. Maxwell Perkins. Max Perkins. You know, 10,000 pages and he had it cut down to the bare bones. Well, of he, you know, I don't think what Max Perkins did really was editing. What I thought he did was organizing. I think he took a whole mass of stuff and just simply... And threw them downstairs or something. Well, yeah, stuff. he just cut out, like, reams of it, but didn't change it. To me, editing is changing the beat and the rhythm. And We're also cutting or condensing, and in some cases, enlarging or embellishing. Lots well, of I things think sneaky that, editors do. That's a good I question. I'd, I'd, I'd like to, you know, the, the, I think there's two kinds of editing. I think there is the cutting and the uh, snipping editor, and then there's the editor who says, why don't you use... Uh, uh, hot diggity dog instead of oh Shaw. Well, that's what uh, that's, a, that's a writer. Really. He's, that's he's, right. Well, uh, Ross of the New Yorker did that. <laughs> he was he was known. He was a uh, I guess most people considered him one of the greatest editors. But uh, he would do a lot more than either cut or condense in some way. He would change words. Well, I you know personally, Bob, I think this is why that magazine always has had a kind of uh, I think me, and I, and I enjoyed a lot of stuff that's been in the New Yorker, but they've always had a kind of homogenous sound. That's very true. That, they that wanted e. it that White, Yeah, but I, no. as a writer, that would, that would bug me. I, I, writing for Playboy, for example, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll appear in one part of the magazine, and on the next part, right next to me, there'll be a short story by, say, Herb Gold. Yeah. And well, they want are, that difference. But yeah, they, they want that right. constant dynamic difference between each piece. Well, the New Yorker, of course, they, they've got a stable of people over there. And when you're a New Yorker writer, when you're typed as a New Yorker writer, you're always a New Yorker writer. Yeah, the, it's reason. usually a lady with three names or an Italian. <laughs> well, of course, what, I, what bothers me most about New Yorker stories is that I have to wait until the end to find out who wrote it. Oh, not really. That you can look. You can always look. Yeah. yeah. That's not. That's cheating. You, that's you're supposed cheap. to figure out in the first couple of paragraphs who wrote it. Well, you can always tell a John Cheever story. He always, he, his story is almost always concerned with the same people. And a typical ending of a John Cheever story is, and the seven fifteen pulled into Wyandotte Circle. Mister Smothers slowly mounted the steps. Period. Yes. And you can see, you can read the whole story. You don't even have to read That's it. That's right. This whole thing, you know, Mr. Smothers, sad Mr. Smothers, his life has been wasted now. He's in love with the babysitter. <laughs> you <laughs> could always tell a S.J. Perlman story, too, by the, usually it's a news clip. As yeah, a lead. at the beginning. Yeah, that he takes off. Well, Perlman's style is, is really different than anybody else. But I'd be disturbing you, Mr. Cox, if I'd ask you for just a moment to permit me to take care of some business. Well, that's still uh, being uh, filed by large numbers of lady librarians all across the country under religious books. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm right next to uh, Mahatma Gandhi. In the Valley of the Dalles? <laughs> Religion, all right. <laughs> David Pauling, the great religious... Do you know Dave Pauling? A great humor writer? <laughs> no. Oh, uh, right. Reverend Poling is a, uh, he's a really no. He's a delightful gentleman. He uh, he's really done an awful lot for the work that he's keenly interested in. That's true. Very true. 
Right. Absolutely. Amen. If you would describe the word, what is his work? Oh. I've talked with him for four or five hours and was never able to discover what it is. <laughs> he's done a lot he's dedicated more than most people would put in <laughs> for that kind of money. money. Like Judge Puffles. <laughs> he's very loyal. Like he is. That's, that's, that's a wonderful word. I'm glad that you employed that tonight to describe the great uh, David Cohn. We're all very big fans of his. Mm-hmm. And some night we hope that you will be able to join us when well, he is delivering one of his spiritual messages. Mm. He certainly... Well, I like a spiritual message. He speaks with tongues. Yes, he does. I yes, like yes. rye bread, too. All right, we'll have some of that a little later. Mustard right. on a good spiritual message, marinate it. That's right. Very you, you have it all made. You have it all made. Just catch you. This is your golden opportunity. Is it to, to do what? I was just stroking my mustache. Well, that's about all you can do, I guess, if you... No, we, we were mentioning during the break and something I, I couldn't understand about the way Playboy structures its magazine, that they seem, no matter what kind of material is written, they always put in front of it, uh, say, Gene Shepard, and then there's a slash, and it says humor. And then so Herbert Gold, slash, fiction. Uh, somebody else, slash, article. It seemed to me that anybody who reads it is going to know without telling me. I don't have to be told that you're going to write humor. I don't care. I'll read it, and I'll judge for myself whether it's humor or one thing or another. Why, why would they do a thing like that? Well, I, I, uh, I really don't have any uh, answer to that, Bob. I, no. I've argued. In fact, uh, uh, that, that point has come up a couple times in, in discussion with my editor as to what they're going to put over a piece. And uh, I think it goes back to the, to the uh, early days of the magazine. It's a thing that, that was put in very early when, uh, when Playboy consisted in the earliest days. Now, if you've ever seen... You know, some of the early Playboy issues, like issue number one or two, are really expensive collector items today. They really, uh, because... I don't even recall them anymore. Well, there weren't many printed, and of course, Playboy's gone on to become a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah. And they, it is really a valuable collector's item now. But if you go back to those magazines, you'll see that they have these blocks. But the reason they used them then was because the magazine was new, and they couldn't even afford... Uh, you might say, uh, new writing. And so they would publish uh, a classic. Yeah, the Rivold's Tales. Exactly. Yeah. So they would put things over the top, uh, more or less to, to describe why they're using it. They would have a Ribald classic, mm, and right, it would be right. de Maupassant. Then they would have something like uh, uh, Great Interviews, yeah. and it would be a reprint of an interview that appeared somewhere. Of course, in the early days, nobody much cared what was written. Playboy. Well, see, Hefner's a very sentimental type, curiously enough. He really is. And and a thing like that... I've heard him described in many ways. But never, never sentimental. sentimental. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know him very well. Uh, it runs through his magazine. Where do you find sentimentality in, the, in Playboy? Well, have you ever read my stuff? That's you. That's Gene no, Shepard. No, he's publishing it. Yes, but he's publishing Gene Shepard. Yeah, but uh, the New Yorker wouldn't. All right, the New Yorker may not... Now, New Yorker publishes Woody They're Allen. They're but not sentimental. They both publish Woody, Woody Allen. Allen. They do? Yeah, I don't think, I think there's no, absolutely no, uh, to me, Allen is, is uh, hardcore Gagsville. And uh, to me, that has nothing to do with, with human emotions or one way or the other. It's a whole series of he-she jokes. Right, but they're great, they're great jokes. Yeah, got yeah. Some, well, well, some are. He know. deals with reminiscences from time to time. I don't know how, how true they are, but they always seem to be based somewhere. In the past. Well, maybe that's sentimentality. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, we're not discussing my work. We're discussing Hefner. And I, and I think that, that, and my work, I think, is anti-sentimental, as a matter of fact, if you ever 
really read it, you realize that it's a put-down of all the things which most people think it it stands for. Mm. It's anti-nostalgic writing. Does, does Hefner know that? Oh, sure. <laughs> well, he loves it. Let me ask you something. Well, yeah, why would this impression get out that Hefner is this kind of ignorant slob? Not ignorant slob. No. no. Good heavens, no. 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 I mean, nobody could do what he's done. No, I mean, he, he understands what he's doing, too. Yeah, but he's a... You know, look, the impression that I have of you, Hefner, is one of the great business minds of our time in the journalistic field. A man has become a multimillionaire, not only with a magazine, but with merchandising every possible aspect of the magazine. He's he's taken a formula that's been around, you know, basic formula, girls and all, that started out, and today it, they pay more yeah, for fiction than anybody else in the country. May I say this? Uh, I'm sorry, Sandy. You know, I think this is a subtle form of put-down. because you It's not never, a put-down. Yes, oh. it is, because you would never say about Harold Ross that he's a great businessman, because after all, That's that right. magazine became a fabulous commercial success during his day, Ross. As editor. Well, he, wrote, he yeah. created the magazine, just like Hef created the Playboy. But the kind of subtle put-down of a Hefner would be, well, he's a, a great businessman. He, he was essentially and began as a man who created a magazine, and that magazine became successful because it was a good magazine. Right. What made it good uh, at the time? It's, it's, yeah. it's good now, but it was good then. I had, until about two years ago, you talked about the early issues of Playboy. I had a classic collector's item, which somebody swiped from me, including the portfolio of nude shots of uh, Anita Ekberg. Remember that? The, uh, some yeah, sculpture. Don't, uh, see, don't confuse the magazine with its phot photography. But yes. originally, it got, it didn't get the coverage no. on no, the basis of the girls, originally. I'm sorry, there were a thousand, this is one of the great myths, uh, <coughs> around. There were dozens of girly magazines around at the time, Playboy, and, and by the way, even magazines that went much further as far as nudity than Absolutely. Playboy. That's true. Right. So, uh, the idea that it made it on, on the girls, it, it only made it with people who didn't read it. And so the people who read the magazine know that they didn't buy it for the girls, but the people who saw the magazine and didn't read it assumed it was the girls. Did Hefner start off, the apocryphal story that he started off with like a thousand or two thousand dollars? Do you have any idea if that is really true? Yes, I'll tell you exactly how it yeah. started. Uh, Hefner was working, he worked a couple of places in uh, Chicago, <laughs> and by the way, most of the people who created the magazine are from and around Chicago. Uh, my old friend Shelley Silverstein, yeah, sure. Leroy Neiman, the artist. Uh, Spec is he from uh, Chicago? No. Uh, Spec came with the magazine comparatively late in its career. The magazine already was a raging success when Spec joined it. Uh, Hef, of course. Jack Kessie, the editor under Hefner. And when he started this magazine, Hefner was working at the time, at the, at the immediate time. He was working for Esquire in yeah. the, the Chicago office. And he had a lot of, uh, he felt that, that the magazine was old-fashioned. Esquire, it's constant reiteration of the Fitzgerald, uh, the Hemingway. Yeah. It, it was in love with the 30s, which, by the way, it still pretty much remains, if you read the magazine. And he said, this is not the 30s, and, and uh, there are a lot of writers writing around today. That just aren't being published because they're today. So Hef got, he had around $6,000 of his own money. He borrowed another two, and he created the magazine, and his the first issues were laid out in the living room of his house on the northwest side of Chicago, all over the, the floor. He pinned them up. Mm. And you know he works that way today? I read that, yes. In his in his room, in the, in the Hefner mansion, uh, his room really, in a sense, 
is a it's just where he does his work, and you see all over the walls. Or anytime you visit Hef, he's got the next issue of Playboy, the one he's working on currently, pinned on the walls. Same way as I do in the well, I don't have a mansion, a 23 room uh, penthouse right next to Bob Kochner's 63 room. Penthouse. I have all these tapes up there, all pinned up on the wall, ready to be. Uh, put to, well, a uh, man of, of such vast uh, output as you, John, we've got to have a right, Jack Keene like is just ready to put them all together. Vast output. We're back again. Robert Kochner is with us, Sanford Teller, and Gene Shepard. My name, Long John Neville. So I'd like to remind you, although I haven't seen it, somebody told me that this Sunday there's a piece in the New York Sunday News by Ben Gross, who's the dean of radio... And uh, TV editors, the man who wrote the book, I Looked and I Listened, that was published by Random House. And uh, and the story is going to be in Sunday's paper. You so, know, ben, ben is a real New York landmark. Oh, he yes, is. yes, he really is. Great man. He's, he's, he's of that, that, that whole crew that New York has produced these, these fantastic <laughs> columnists over the years. Guys like O.O. McIntyre, mm -hmm. Gross. F.P.A. Yeah, that whole yeah. crowd. He's, he's one of them. You know, I was talking the other day with somebody, uh, uh, a young man. See, this will even hurt you, Bob. Younger than I Yeah, that's oh, right. No, you know? no I know. <laughs> and, you know, we, we usually talk about young men, you know, of 30, 35, but uh, I'm talking about a younger man. He was mentioning something about ambitions. And then... Another young man came in to see me today, Duke Osler, that's Will's son, yes. and he is a reporter on a Bridgeport newspaper, and I guess Duke is about uh, 22, 23, something like that, and a couple of summers, Duke used to work for me over at O.R. Yeah, there. I remember that. He'd come yeah. in during the summer months and work at nights. And with, he's Paris, with Paris Lamont. Well, that's right, yeah, yeah. with Paris Lamont and a couple of the others around. But the point I'm trying to make is this, that it seems so many guys, and maybe because I am the older member of the group tonight. Every every night I'm on, I'm <laughs> yeah. the older member of the group. I'm getting to notice that. That's John, right. Uh, so many guys make excuses. You're talking about Hefton. This is what reminds me. Always, you know, a lot of parents, and I think the parents make this mistake. They'll tell their, their children, their, their sons in particular, you got to crawl before you walk. And you know you've got it made. You know you're you're a, you've got your whole life ahead of you. Well, I imagine that some guy, seventy or seventy-five, who may be seated opposite me as a guest one night, and uh, he would say to me, "You've got your whole life ahead of you. You're a kid." Well, I am a kid compared to a guy seventy-five. But I think that Hefner was a man who I've never met, incidentally. I think Hefner had something that only successful guys have. And that is a drive to do it. He was not going to be conned or lulled into saying, you know, look, take it easy. You know, you, you crawl before you walk. Start and, small. And, you're, and yeah, start small. And you're young. You've got the whole world ahead of you. Well, I wouldn't even say this to a 16-year-old kid that he has the world ahead of him. Because today, we had Robert Metz on who was with the New York Times. He writes a financial column for the New York Times five days a week, and he was on the other night with us. And he was telling me some things that were pretty exciting to me, that in the mutual fund market today, there are about three or four guys. There's one rather old man who has been successful in the last year and a half. He's 32, 
The other two guys, one yeah. is 25 and one is 27. So I'm not talking about guys who got a few bucks together and yeah. invest. I'm talking about guys who have like successful <laughs> mutual funds. So there you sit opposite me, <laughs> this older man, this managing editor, <laughs> and instead of being out there hustling and... You know, you'll wind up being a Sanford teller. I plan to retire in If only that were true. You know how fortunate he would be. He's gone far. Remember one thing. You're missing the point here, John. He is on the Long John Show. That's right. Thank you. That's true. Four men who've been on the Long John Show in the last five years have been assassinated. So don't... I would not make... This is true. I think the... Wait a minute, Sandy. I think to be assassinated is the ultimate compliment. Assassination instead of murder. You're right. You do not assassinate Charlie Applebaum. That's right. You kill him. But I think this is this is one of the reasons why why there are Hefners and... Uh, and, you know, there's another guy that I think of, and, and don't, you know, say just because this old man had a few bucks. Actually, there wasn't a, a fortune. It was a fortune compared to what we may have at the present time. And that's Howard Hughes. You know, the whole Howard Hughes thing, I think, was about $100,000 yeah. or $150,000. There wasn't much money himself. there at all. That's no, right. compared to what he made of it. Right. Yeah, he took it. And made now, this it. was a guy that didn't play games. He was going to make it. And... Whether that was a hang-up with him or what it was, I don't know. I'm not. But you know, in, John, when you use psychiatry, may, may I interrupt you here for a minute? You use in the, uh, You know, I think that Hefner and people like that type, Hefner and uh, Hughes, Howard Hughes, that type, Henry Luce. Yeah, but these people are. When you say make it, now I think the average ordinary walking around citizen, when when you use the word make it, he, money. He thinks in terms of money. No, I don't. No, I'm well, not I'm talking. Terms. No, we, we got to explain terms here. That a guy like Hefner, to him, and it's it's going to sound very strange to a lot of people who think that way. Uh, money is of no consequence to him. It's the game he's playing. He it's the he's so fascinated and excited by all the things he does, and he does them so well. He he is truly, by the way, a business genius. He 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 knows how to do these things, and so the natural increment of it is money. It's like a gambler. He he plays with chips. He doesn't think in terms of money. And, and, and so a guy like Hughes is, he loves this whole big game. It's like, it's like, uh, they're, 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 in a, in a way, they're very much like the character that, uh, Ian Fleming created. They're James Bonds. Uh, these are adventurers. And, and as a matter of fact, Hefner, uh, Hefner, one night, I remember we were sitting around in, in the kitchen. He, he loves to come down at four o'clock in the morning and sit there unshaven, wearing his bathrobe. And uh, sitting around with a few of his old friends who were with the magazine in the early days, and one night he said, "We're sitting there eating pumpkin pie, which he happens to have a thing for him." <laughs> he says, uh, "He says, you know, what I really enjoy, he says, I enjoy guys who will 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 risk it all." He says, "You know, he says, I will I will go for a guy." He says, "I like people who will say." Why write for the Chelsea Shopping News? I'm going to send it in to. You know, sure. and he'll risk yeah. total humiliation. Yeah. And 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 I and I I said, well, Hef, you know, anybody that will go out on the kind of financial limbs that Hefner will, he'll loot like he started. Remember Showbiz That's Illustrated? Right. Yes, yes, I. It's yes. the only flop, really. Yeah, but but the point is, he will he will and he'll quit. You see, he'll lose a half a million dollars on a thing like that, or maybe a million. 
Yeah, I know it. And, and you think it, magazine, you think a lot of money. This yeah. would destroy artists. a lot of men. With Hefner, he says, well, you win some, mm. you lose a couple. John pointed out about, a, about maybe a year ago that if Joe Schultz, the corner grocer, goes into bankruptcy for 50, let's say $500 or $1,000, it's hard for him to get credit. But if an international financier, you know, who's dropped 10 million and is bankrupt, he gets it again. Always his partners in line to be with this guy because he was an operator who could, who could build up a, a, a thing. You know, John, oh, there's, there's certain guys, though, uh, now when I say a, a Howard Hughes or a, or a Hefner. How about a Ralph Kaufman? Or a, or a Petty. Uh, or Ralph Kaufman, name? especially. Yeah, Ralph Kaufman and Cleveland. Getty, Getty is one. Getty is He's, one? Now, yep. you see, the, there's a difference between these men. Well, and Getty cares about money, though. Well, now, wait a minute. You see, <laughs> Getty, Getty cares about money because money represents the chips that show he's won the game. Uh, and I think that we shouldn't confuse it with, uh, confuse these guys with guys who will come along and briefly make a big fortune, let's say, in the uh, construction business, overextend themselves, and 20 minutes later they're either in jail or they're back in Indianapolis with their hot dog stand. Now, a guy like Hefner works in all directions. In short, he w he's liable to tomorrow morning say, you know what we ought to do? We ought to start uh, an airline. And he will throw $2 million into this thing. He's done he, that. He's bought a plane. That's he's right. Bought a, he's bought a commercial jet plane. Don't no. be surprised no. if he doesn't come up with an airline. I would not be. You're right. Ah, uh, here we are. We're back in. Yes. Bless you real good. Uh, here we are back <laughs> over. Again with our guest. One of his favorite, one of my favorite lines of his is, is this one where he says, Friends, I want you to just reach out now and lay your hands on that radio. Horrible. <laughs> That's what I said, Oral Roberts. Oh, yeah, I thought yeah. you said No, Billy I said Oral Roberts. No, he changed oh, it. Oh, you oh, your hands on that radio yeah. gears, and you feel that heat coming up through your knuckle bones, coming up through your elbow joints. Friends, that is electronic love I'm sending out your way. I want, I'm digging that right now. I want to get <laughs> Love offering, right? Here. Something we've got to do here. Oh, right in front of the television screen. <laughs> here we are back again with our guests. And we have Sanford Teller with us, of Sanford Teller Public Relations, uh, Communication. Communications, I'm sorry, I popped it already. Oh, there it goes. Well, and, back uh, to Ritter and Finn, I'd <laughs> Robert Kochner, managing editor of Newspaper Enterprise Association. How's that, huh? Excellent. And we, in fact, we have Dick Raskin, who joined us tonight. Dick is from California, and he plays a little guitar and a couple of other things. And we've got Gene Shepard. Uh, Gene wrote the book, In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash, which was published by Doubleday, but now available in paperback by Bantam Books. You know, I think the worst publicists, except for maybe a half a dozen, are people with book publishers. Mm. Oh, I agree. It's an old-fashioned oh, industry. There's yeah. still... a few outstanding. Sonia Leventhal of McGraw-Hill. Letty Cotton of Bernard Geis. Uh, Gene Booth. Of double day. Yeah, there's uh... uh Abby Brown and her husband Tom Cassidy. Uh Terry Garrity does a great job. Most of uh, Lisa Kane. Yeah. Uh from uh, Harper's. But and 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 I don't like to leave anybody out. I may have probably missed some, but a couple, there, yeah. there are so many. It would take an hour and a half to say those that have no idea, that have never been to a show, mm. that have no idea what happens at the show who mislead the authors, I don't think they do it intentionally, 
but they have an idea because maybe they've heard Barry Gray, mm -hmm. and they figure if you're on at night, I must be doing the same show that Barry, and, and they, they send the author up for 20 minutes. And a guy comes up and you say, will I be able to get a cab? And you say, gee, I really don't know. We'll try to help you when we leave in the morning. Well, I have to catch the the uh, the 1237 from Grand Central. You yeah. know what I mean? and, and the guy, he's not putting me on. You know what I mean? He's not trying to be a wise guy or anything. Mm -hmm. But he was told that he would be on for 15 or 20 minutes. At the top of the show. Yeah, at the top of the yeah. show, and, and that's the end of it. Even worse is to, is to run into a, a PR person from a publishing house who has not read the book. And, and, and furthermore, uh, completely, uh, it, it's, I've seen some very embarrassing moments from <laughs> like that around radio stations where a publicity person will come in and start talking about a book to somebody, and the guy will turn and say, well, it isn't like that at all, I read it. The guy he's yeah. explaining it to knows more about it than he does. Well, I always think that the extent of book promotion, generally speaking, is sending a book to a reviewer. That's as far as it goes. Well, I've been case. around, uh, you know, every time John uh, gives me a chance to go through some of the books coming, just to see what the releases, press releases look like and things of that sort, I'm appalled that a major publisher will send out a major book uh, with a forum letter pitching it to all radio and TV. And is it fun? Oh, sure. I mean, it is so bad. This is Some of them are Xerox, yeah. and then and then yeah. they'll put, dear Mr. Neville or dear John. Dear broadcaster. No, yeah, dear, dear broadcaster. I love that one. No, they do. Dear, it is, communicator. It is. Yeah. Dear broadcaster, and it says, we know this book will be of interest to your particular audience. You know, you know another one. Yeah. Now, can you imagine a show like we do, and a person will send, if you would be interested, uh, contact us. And tell us when you would like the author, and we'll send you a book. In the meantime, they send you the <laughs> yeah. the, the jacket. Yeah, the jacket copy and all. And, yeah. and they and they want to know whether you're going to be interested. And of course, the jacket has nothing to do with the author. The author has mm. had a thing to say about the jacket, 